0: long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. It is a dark time for Star Wars toy collectors. The elusive rare collectibles are impossible to find. Online providers toss action figures loosely into boxes, resulting in damaged collectibles. You will never find a more wretched hide scum and villainy. Enter Jet's Toy Hut with the best hand-packed shipping online, seven sizes of custom Toy Hut boxes in packing peanuts, bubble wrap and air pillows. For a zero movement policy, Toy Hut is the best option for this side of the Dagobah system.
1: Toyhut.com all too easy. The content of this episode was determined by shoving my face into a hat.
2: I'm Torn Atkinson. I don't need a Kevlar vest, I've got temple garments. I'm Kevin Leeson. The tea I'll drink during this episode voids my Brigham Young University faculty card. I'm Stuart Parker.
3: I might join the LDS just for the candy. I'm Joe Fulgham, and this is...
4: Cosmic Soda! It's the Caustic Soda Podcast! Yay!
1: It's time to set the mics up It's time for tales of woe It's time to take the red pill On the caustic soda
4: show
1: It's time to do our research Unless your name is Joe It's time to load the wiki On the caustic soda show
4: to introduce our guest star, that's what I'm here to do. So it makes me very hungry to introduce to you. To do,
1: but now let's get things started. Why don't you get things started? It's time to get things started on the informational, aberrational, strangulational, nauseational
4: strapping for the Caustic Soda Show!
1: The word Mormon comes uh, from 1830, coined by religion founder Joseph Smith in Seneca County, New York, from... Mormon, supposed prophet and author of the Book of Mormon, explained by Smith as meaning more, from English more, Uh and mon, which is apparently Egyptian for good. More More good? good. And Latter-day Saints, I guess, means saints in the end times?
2: Stuart Parker, our Mormon expert, what do you have to say about that? Saints refers to the members of the Church uh, through all time, and Latter-day means the dispensation of the fullness of times. Mormons believe that all of space-time is divided into a series of dispensations that radiate out from the planet Kolob. Dispensations? And in each dispensation is a discrete part of space-time that is... Is founded by a prophet. In each dispensation there will be an apostasy that will cause a cataclysm that will end the dispensation. Okay. And the elect will have to leave that dispensation and start a new one. So there's a lot on, of words in uh, there. <laughs> uh, So in the eighteen twenties, the dispensation of the fullness of times began. Yeah. And the previous dispensation uh, the dispensation of the meridian of time ended.
5: <laughs> okay, there's a lot of words in there that I feel like I should know what they mean. But the way that you're saying it, in the context you're saying it, I have
3: no idea what the fuck you're talking about. Is there about. a time so, dispenser, like in the bathroom, that you can press <laughs> yeah, like next time the, comes out? Next to the condoms and the tampons, That's right. right?
2: Absolutely. No, <laughs> there, the, the point is that there is a dispenser. That fundamentally, dispensations are a a thing that the universe generates because of its structure, that someone will figure out the rules of the universe, and that means that you're founding the church and using – and the church is refounded in every dispensation. So when Adam and Eve first came here from the planet Kolob, they started the Adamic dispensation when okay. the prophet Enoch moved to the area currently occupied by the Gulf of Mexico and then was uh, and then he and his city were translated from the surface of the earth and are now orbiting one of the gas giants in the outer solar system, oh. um, that was a separate dispensation. Then there, was no, then there was the deluge, which killed off everybody except Noah and his people. Right. And then Noah and his people started the dispensation of Noah.
1: Okay. okay. So
2: you have these series of dispensations that they start with the restoration and they typically end in darkness, except for the dispensation of the fullness of time which will of course end with the millennium and the return of christ so but uh, didn't we I, already
1: I, have the end of the millennium
2: the millennium the thousand years uh, that are narrated in the book of revelation okay because the mormon theory of the dispensations comes from the book of revelation and the seven seals they argue that each of the seals refers to one of the Earth's seven dispensations.
5: Okay. So I, I feel like we just basically got your bona fides, because uh, I, uh, I don't think anyone's going to question the fact that you know a lot about Mormonism. But just for our, our listeners, uh, why do you know so much about
2: Mormonism? My great aunt Kay uh, is a woman of um, mixed race who, when she was very little, uh, 10 years old, her black father died and her mother remarried a white supremacist. And so um, he demanded that she disown all of her mixed race children. And so my great aunt Kay has spent much of her life infiltrating previously all white organizations. So in 1978, when the Mormon church fully sold black people. Yeah. Um,
3: unsold. I love that word. They, uh,
2: my uh, great aunt Kay and her husband Jesse converted and okay. Jesse became the first black Mormon priest in Kentucky. Oh, wow. And then because she missed the black church, she also became a black Jehovah's Witness. So on Saturdays, she was a black Jehovah's Witness and on Sundays, she was a white Mormon. That is quite a so, transformation. <laughs> uh, she – anyway, so she um, – came for a visit, and she left me a copy of the Book of Mormon Okay and, um, It was the only book in the house you had at the time right? Uh, and well no what happened good, good was Good bathroom reading,
1: good toilet reading
2: Well initially I left it on the shelf You know because as Mark Twain says It's chloroform in print <laughs> Or as my friend Michael says It's as boring as whale shit I think but we've then, had some
3: guests who might disagree with whale shit being boring uh,
2: So then uh, About seven years later I was trying to come up with a, a plot For the D&D game I was running right, And so so I pulled this thing down. And of course now if Gary Gygax had lived before Joseph Smith, Mormonism would never have come into being. It just would have been an awesome D&D campaign. <laughs> uh, in many ways, Joseph Smith is like America's first DM. Okay. I remember this, uh, this, this professor I was dealing with he said, who was a Mormon, a uh, very prestigious guy, and he said, you know, I've always felt that, you know, for me, the evidence of the Book of Mormon is true is enough that like what young man would spend years – Constructing a totally self-consistent world full of all these fictional people, and then and create this thousand-year history for it. Have you thought maybe and, that this is just the Gary Gygax dispensation? Indeed. I think that's a very credible idea. And so I I said to actually Dr. Bushman, this is all my friends and I did when we were that age. There's nothing exceptional about it.
3: I'm doing it now.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, so I learned a lot about Mormonism to run these three gaming things. Mm -hmm. And then when I decided to go back to school, you know, because I was old and in a hurry, I thought, you know what I really need to do? I need to do a PhD on people who speak English and keep all their records in one place. And so – The fact that I had all this prior knowledge of Mormonism, it just made sense. So I got a PhD from the University of Toronto, did my thesis on how Mormons think about time. And I am still currently a postdoctoral fellow at Brigham Young University. There you go. I am one of the only people holding a faculty card – at BYU, uh, that isn't who a Mormon. Is not a Mormon. There, there are more non-Mormons in the sciences, but in the humanities, it's very rare to be able to get a faculty card oh, okay. without being a Mormon. Oh, very mm-hmm. good. Right.
1: Well, I have a Mormon belief pop quiz. All right, I would like to go through. Okay, true or false. Temple garments or underwear will protect you from physical harm or the grasp of Satan.
3: Well, now, are we talking about true in the real world or their beliefs? Mormon beliefs. Uh, okay. Totally true. Yeah, true, yeah. for sure. Yeah, it'll protect you from bullets, man.
1: That's true. They must be worn day and night, only removed for sex, showering, and some sporting activities. The
3: three S's, yeah. Mm. yeah. <laughs> sex, shower, and sports? Yep. That, that's The three S's? That's a turn of phrase? That's on Reddit.com. There There's an AMA from uh, another person at BYU who uh, was t- giving us some inside looks. Okay. Mormonism.
1: Women must wear their bra, uh, their bras and panties over their garments as the garment should be the layer closest to the skin for maximum protection.
3: Okay. Yeah. His complaint was it's a total pain in the ass, especially when it's hot. Like, yeah. They're just yeah. horribly <laughs> uncomfortable.
1: But you're bulletproof.
3: I There's mean, give and take. It's pretty awesome. As long awesome. You
1: as long you don't get shot in the arm yeah. or the head. At what age does a person's soul fully form? Uh, ooh, um, I'm going to go with after you've been ensouled. So
3: whenever that might be, it could be after death. <laughs> Aren't they anti abortion it at the moment of conception? I don't know.
2: Stuart? Eight. That's a random number to choose. Well, it's just the number Joseph Smith picked. He probably wanted to baptize an eight-year-old. I mean, Joseph Smith was very concerned about infant baptism, and he opposed that idea. Oh. He saw it as a Catholic heresy, and it's like, well, at what point can kids really start making their own decisions? Now, their soul is fully formed. I want to be very clear okay. here because your soul is fully formed during the pre-existence. Oh, so because the reason that you're rich or poor, black or white, has to do with what you did during the pre-existence when we were all living in the spirit world with Jesus and Satan and everybody else that we you know that we've heard of because because right. we are all technically siblings, right? Uh, children of the father and the mother in heaven.
1: Luminous beings are we, not this crude matter, as Yoda once said. <laughs> <laughs> What time does the Holy Ghost go to bed? Uh, Never?
3: 9 p.m.?
2: I don't know this
1: one. (laughs) Oh, the Holy Ghost goes to bed at midnight. So all dates, sleepovers, and other activities by youth or single people need to end by midnight or else you won't have protection or guidance from the temptations of the devil.
2: I have to say here, like the thing about uh, your temple garments physically protecting you and that one— That's not Mormon doctrine. That's Mormon folklore. Okay. And it's important not to get those mixed up because the further away people live from Utah – the less likely they are to buy into the folklore and just stick to the doctrine. So the midnight thing, that probably comes out of this thing that I would call the Wilkinson aesthetic. Ernest J. Wilkinson, who ran Brigham Young University during the Cold War, created a lot of things we think of as Mormon doctrine that
1: aren't. Okay. Well, many of these may be just folklore. then. (laughs) Uh, True or false, Native Americans are the most wicked people on earth. Oh, true. Oh,
3: I thought, so it was, true. I thought it was false. I thought the darker your skin, the more wicked you were.
1: Well, apparently the ancient Jews were the only people who would kill Christ, and therefore they are the uh, most wicked people uh, in the yeah, universe. And he thought uh, cool.
2: there, there's no explicit church doctrine on okay. this. However... Uh, In terms of racially identifying the most wicked people in the world, there is far more Mormon literature about how people of African descent are the most wicked in the world. Because the Jews did side with the Archangel Michael during the war in heaven, whereas the Africans were the people who were neutral in the war in heaven. Hmm. Now, that has been Mormon doctrine – and the Mormon church is very much of two voices about whether it's recanted that position. Oh, I see. So they say, well, we do let black people have the priesthood, but they won't retract the previous statements that the reason black people are black is because they, because they didn't fight for Jesus and the Archangel Michael.
1: Okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, one, I think it was the third uh, Mormon president who stated that black people were put on earth to represent Satan.
2: Oh, Nice. That's lovely. Uh, that uh, that could easily have come out of Brigham Young, uh, the second one as well.
3: Yeah. I saw that little – there's that animated uh, Secrets of Mormonism that uh, goes – talks about uh, Kolob and – and uh, is it Elohim? Yeah. And uh, all his uh, spirit wives and, and Jesus and Satan were both trying to become the Savior, and they chose Jesus, and Satan said, well, screw you guys. And then one-third of all the spirit people joined him. And as punishment for their sin, their skins turn dark.
2: Uh, No, they become the, 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 the sons of perdition. They cannot be embodied. Oh, okay. So they are among the millions of evil spirits. who are constantly trying to influence us mm. because they uh, cannot take physical form. That's their punishment.
5: Is this is this just like a 19th century version of Scientology or is it just me? Like, it's all sounding very familiar.
2: Oh, well, I think one of the important things to recognize is Maybe that. you're a all, Mormon at heart. <laughs> all of the major religions that have been invented by Americans do come out of a period where people are trying to involve all the space stuff. Right. Uh, in mm. the religion, really spiritualism, the one that died, mm. is the one that uh, that best represented this. But Farrakhan's Nation of Islam, similarly, like Scientology, like Mormonism, tends to tell stories like this, where they're trying to take science and religion, which they see as flying apart, and fuse them back together. Right. That's okay. why the Mormons believe spirit is a form of matter. They're very clear on that. So you can weigh it? You can throw it at somebody in a snowball fight, in a spirit fight? Absolutely. But it's a very refined form of matter that we've had difficulty detecting. <laughs> oh, <so> naturally.
1: <laughs> refined. And apparently if you have dark skin and convert to Mormonism, your skin will begin to lighten? Folklore or doctrine?
2: I would argue that it was doctrine until 78.
1: 1978.
2: Uh, I would say – I mean because Joseph Fielding Smith, when he was president of the church in the early 70s, um, was still saying that that was why the Catawba Indians were so white. Oh, because uh, they were closer to God uh, or whatever. Yeah, I mean, I think that now they have really sort of tried to pull away from that, but there are reasons they're still kind of attached to those doctrines. Right? They don't like black people. Well, <laughs> they seem to. I mean, they they. I mean, I think it depends where you go in the Mormon Church. Again, I think the more the further out on the periphery you are yeah. geographically, right. Um, the fewer problems there are going to be. But one of the reasons they sold black people in 1978 was because an independent black Mormon church was going to form in Brazil if they didn't. Right. Okay. Yeah, I've noticed a lot of the decisions of the official doctrine have kind of come to pass
1: because if we don't do something right now, the shit's going to hit the fan.
2: (laughs) Well, and
3: of course, the, uh, the
2: justification that. for that is, well, you know, God uh, only provides revelations under exigent circumstances. Right, exactly. Oh, nice. I like that. Yeah, it's the
3: same thing with the polygamy, right? Like, just as polygamy was being outlawed in the US, oh, we've had a revelation. We're not supposed to have multiple wives now.
2: They change what freedom of religion means in America. Because if you look at the original freedom, uh, freedom of religion, non-establishment stuff, the founders of the US had a lot of difficulty distinguishing between states— small voluntary groups and individuals. So when they talk about rights, the discourse is totally incoherent because they're not sure what thing they're talking about. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So how can you have a militia of one? How can you have a religion of one? How can you have Mm -hmm. a congregation of one? So the idea was that religious freedom in America meant that your town got to pick its religion, or your state got to pick its religion. It's your territory. So the Mormons... I mean, the efforts to extirpate polygamy in the U.S. on the part of the federal government began in the 1850s, just after the Mormons announced it. And the Mormons stuck it out, you know, until 1890. They put everything on the line. It wasn't until the federal government was just going to throw everything at destroying them that they finally issued the manifesto. And the manifesto is not the revelation they received. Oh. There are two revelations, the one on black people having the priesthood and the one on ending polygamy. All the other revelations in Doctrine and Covenants say, thus saith the Lord, right. yeah. the Lord, yada, yada, mm. yada, yeah. uh, my people do this. The those two begin, to whom it may concern.
4: <laughs> uh, it's like to
2: whom it may concern. Yeah, this is this is God talking, clearly. Um, and then they go on to say, a revelation was received. Yeah. The outcome of that revelation is that we've issued this statement. Oh, I see. Oh. But it doesn't tell you what the content of the whole revelation no, sneaky was. Bastards. So the
3: revelation right. might be play ball. Yes, yeah.
2: and so that's why in 1904, 14 years later, they had to issue another statement going, actually, we were serious. <laughs> <laughs> okay. True or false, God is a resurrected
1: extraterrestrial exalted human male who lives on a planet or star in our part of the universe. Uh,
5: I'm going to go true on this one. Yeah, we kind of yeah, already that's touched true. on this that's, one. That's, yeah, that's,
2: yeah. Brigham Young. To, um, Brigham Young was the second. Yeah, he's the prophet second prophet. The, after Joseph After Joseph Smith, Smith died. is, uh, yes, martyred we'll or assassinated, that. depending upon um, yeah. whether you think of him as a presidential candidate or a religious leader. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but uh, Brigham Young basically said, "No, no, we the Earth was formed out of unorganized matter by angels from Kolob. Okay. okay. So this is
5: kind of like this is the uh, the Eve is made from a rib of Adam. The earth is made from unorganized matter from Kolob.
2: No, no, no. Just the angels are from Kolob. The whole universe is full of unorganized matter. And in fact, the the, the doctrine of the expanding universe, the universe is expanding. And as it expands, we organize new matter. It becomes new worlds.
1: Right. Okay. That's pretty much it for my pop quiz. I now know a little bit more
5: about Mormonism.
1: Uh, We can go into a truncated history of Joseph Smith and the Church of Latter-day Saints. Let's let's, do it. Let's
3: do a little uh, quick
1: Yeah, Because I don't know nothing. So Joseph Smith was a treasure hunter known as a money digger. Mm -hmm. His technique was to use a seer stone, put it in a white stovepipe hat, and then bury his face in the hat, upon which he would see the required information and reflections given off by the stone. In 1823, Smith said he was visited by an angel named Moroni, who revealed the location of a buried book of golden plates, as well as other artifacts, including a breastplate and a set of silver spectacles with lenses... Composed of sear stones, which had been hidden in a hill near his home. Five years later, he claimed to finally have recovered the gold plates, but couldn't show them to anyone on command of the angel. Using his hat technique, he transcribed the plates over the next few years and published the Book of Mormon. At which point Smith and his followers formally organized the Church of Christ and Smith established himself as the sole prophet do you,
5: do you think this just was a callous attempt to you know to benefit from the forming of a church and all the rest of that stuff and <clears throat> he sort of had like aspirations and this was his way to get it or do you think he was kind of cracked and actually believed all this stuff
2: I don't think there's that binary. Smith was part of a social movement that had existed for a long time that are referred to that were referred to back in England as the cunning men. Mm -hmm. Um, These were guys who did divination. They had irregular sort of beliefs coming out of the Reformation, many of which end up in Mormonism. These guys, a lot of them moved to this sort of area that stretched from western Pennsylvania up to Vermont. These were itinerant money diggers, scryers, people who did love magic. They also did a lot of casual labor because um, often they would get into trouble. They were often called in to look for lost objects as a last resort. They're kind of like like the psychics of the time. Yes, that's very much who they were. And so it's pretty obvious that Smith did not really believe he had the plates. But I think Smith really believed that, God was telling him, like Mm. when he was looking into the hat and he was seeing these words and he was, and he didn't write any of it himself. It was all dictated to people. I don't think there's any way in which he thought, oh yeah, this is an elaborate scam. It's like, we're going to go out there as cunning men and we are going to swear an affidavit saying it came off these plates. And that's how, what we're saying is going to be credible because he abandoned the plates after that. Mm. The book of Moses was dictated to him directly by God. Doctrine and covenants, the Book of Commandments, these were dictated directly by God. He didn't need any plates or anything. Yeah, he no longer needed plates. Plates were effective because when they were digging the Erie Canal, there was a rumor, and the Erie Canal went right through his town that a copper plate – with Indian writing on it had been found. Oh, so it so wasn't even an original idea. So people – oh, no, that's the thing. Everything Smith does is from somewhere else. What he does is he amplifies it. Yeah. Right, Copper, He takes whatever – yeah, yeah, he takes whatever you've said, whatever the trendy idea of the day is, and he takes it up about three notches.
1: So he's the Quentin Tarantino of religion. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so, Smith declared that the promised land was somewhere in Missouri, and the major players of the church headed west. Uh, while stopped in Ohio, Smith was beaten unconscious and tarred and feathered what? by disgruntled ex-saints.
3: I know what song we're using for this episode. <laughs>
1: uh, but he remained in Ohio for seven years. After a warrant was issued for Smith's arrest on a charge of banking fraud, Smith finally fled to Missouri to catch up with the Mormons who were already stationed there.
5: Well, I thought tarred and feathering... Was- Sometimes ended in death. He it's. survived it.
1: Mm-hmm. Wow, well, he was a big, tough guy. Hmm. Okay, violent rhetoric by the uh, latter LDS, which we will call the Church of Latter Day Saints, from. Here going forward uh, in Missouri it led to violence between Mormons and non-Mormons, escalating in the 1838 Mormon War, the Battle of Crooked River, and Hans Hill Massacre, which we won't get into.
2: I, I would just say this casts the Mormons in an unnecessarily bad light. Right in Missouri, the Mormons were the good guys. They were the anti-slavery settlers who moved into areas held by slaveholders. And Smith did not have the racism that Brigham Young did. Oh, yeah. And also because they held land collectively, they could out-compete – Mm. The slaveholders who held land individually, and so they engendered a lot of fear that they were going to take control of the right, state right so generally, yes, they did use some violence, they did use some violent rhetoric, but it was typically a response to a higher level of violence right. uh, by the uh, locals yeah good right. point
3: so it 's a war between religious crazies and slaveholders, and everybody wins. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Uh, So the saints eventually surrendered, forfeited their property to the state, and were exiled from Missouri. Uh, Smith was almost executed this time, but was pretty much saved by his lawyer. Smith and his Mormon refugees traveled back east to Illinois, where they bought a town and renamed it Nauvoo, which is Hebrew for beautiful.
0: Okay.
1: He built his Mormon empire there, but excommunicated some of his saints after he proposed to their wives. (laughs) Ah, uh, he excommunicated the saints after he proposed to their wives? Yeah, because they were, I guess they were starting to get pissed
2: off about it. <laughs> yeah, there was certainly a problem there. I mean, what he created was this thing called sealing, which... Sealing. I guess sealing. He
5: I guess he didn't port over, do not covet thy neighbor's wife. Mm. I guess that was the one covenant from that other religion <laughs> that he didn't bring with him.
2: Well, I mean, the, the the reality is that he unsealed these people. They stopped being the wives of those people he excommunicated. Oh, right. Okay, so
5: free love, man.
2: The best sort of shorthand for Mormonism is you. The, the universe is this this pyramid scheme, right? Where it's constantly expanding, and your job is to become the god of your own planet, right? And so, how do you become the god of your own planet? Will you seal as many people to you as you can? How do you seal people to you? Well. You can marry them, they can be your children, right? or you can retroactively baptize them after they're dead. These are ways. And so all of these doctrines roll out at once. It's really unclear who you can't seal. One of Smith's apparatchiks decides to seal all of his clerks to him. Uh, oh, I see. For the afterlife. Right. And, you know, but this isn't like a handy. gay relationship. It's like, I think I may need these clerks later. <laughs> right. So, So this sealing idea comes out in Nauvoo, and it's like a big systematic thing. You, we can use these priesthood powers to seal people to other people, and this makes us more powerful and more godlike. What happens if two different
1: people seal the same person? Is that possible? But, uh, or you, does you one can't sealing seal unseal the other one?
2: Oh, well, it depends on your gender. Oh okay. Oh, that's tricky. This like is like if, we
1: need a lawyer.
5: We need like a Mormon lawyer to navigate all the sealing and unsealing.
1: Like if Kevin and I are on the council of twelve, the mm. quorum of twelve. Okay. And we both like the same lady, uh-huh. and we
2: both seal her. What happens then? Who's uh, first first serve? Does she go to oh okay. okay. If the next person wants her, she has to get unsealed from the first guy. Yeah. Now. One of the things that they did after polygamy became illegal was that they would um – Uh, Because the magic works on people whether they're dead or not, um, in order to exalt general authorities, they would um, seal dead women to them. Right. Or seal living women to the general authority immediately after the general authority died. What's the general authority? What does that mean? Uh, A general authority just refers to members of the different quorums. So the the three quorums of the 70, the quorum of the 12 – Um, You may
1: have heard all this on Battlestar Galactica, but we'll (laughs) get into that in the pop culture (laughs) section. (laughs) All right. So Nauvoo. Yeah. So the excommunicated dissidents published a paper called the Nauvoo Expositor, which decried Smith doctrines and printed an expose on his sexual liaisons. Mm -hmm. Uh, At that time, he had announced – Joseph Smith had announced his candidacy for president of the United States, uh, apparently set up a secret government And uh, secretly had himself crowned king of the kingdom of God. Okay. Smith had the paper's printing press destroyed, and this act caused him to be taken into custody and charged with treason against the state of Illinois.
5: Oh, okay.
1: So, at which point, an armed mob with blackened faces stormed Carthage Jail, where Smith and his brother Hiram were being held. Hiram, who was trying to hold the door, was killed instantly with a shot to the face. Smith fired a pepper box pistol that had been smuggled into the prison— uh, then sprang from the window. He was shot multiple times before falling out of the window, crying, "Oh Lord, my God!"
2: He died shortly after hitting the ground.
1: So, why did he destroy
5: the state printing press?
2: Uh, no, no, it was the um, it was a local printing press. So, Nova so was how the is it second... a crime?
5: How is it a crime against the state? It was just a local uh, printing because
2: press? people were sick of him. Oh, okay, Nauvoo was the second largest city in Illinois at this point. It was of approximately the same size as Chicago. Mm-hmm. Smith could well have won the state of Illinois in the 1844 election, and his hope was to deny the Democrats and the Whigs uh, an electoral college majority, at which point he would cut a deal with whoever agreed to protect the Mormons. Right. He was running this town. The town had been given a charter, and part of the charter was religious freedom. Yeah. Nauvoo was supposed to have religious freedom, but, of course, he found religious dissidents in his town and destroyed their property. And people went, "Okay, you're behaving like a theocrat. You've breached the charter we've given you. Uh, It's charges from Missouri, though, that actually stick, that keep him in jail, not the charges from Illinois.
1: Okay, So Brigham Young becomes the next president slash prophet of the LDS. The Illinois state revokes Nauvoo's charter, and the Mormons began an exodus out of the United States to Great Salt Lake in what was at the time Mexico.
2: Now, only half go. There are all these other Mormon denominations that never – it's very Silmarillion that way. There are the elves that never go (laughs) uh, to Utah.
5: Did you just call Mormons elves? (laughs) I love this.
1: That's a token reference. Yeah, I get it. Yeah, so a year later, I think it was, that the area became
2: part of the U.S. and uh, the Mormon headquarters remains there to this day. And the U.S. was very glad to have somebody living out there because they just seized all this territory from Mexico. So initially, they appointed Brigham Young, the governor of the territory.
5: All right. Yeah, convenient, right? Oh, we've got a guy who's kind of running shit out there anyway, so let's just tap him on the head and say, go ahead and keep on running it officially for us. And uh, when we want to actually put our own settlers there, we'll just— Take it back,
2: right? Which was, of course, how they colonized much of America. You yeah, know, you drive absolutely. cultists and Indians before you, <laughs> and their superior collective landholding abilities means they set up your infrastructure, and then you send your settlers out and drive them further west yeah, to <laughs> o- all the way to Oklahoma or Utah. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. <laughs> I tell you, uh,
3: Navu now has, in the twenty ten census, had uh, eleven hundred and forty nine residents. So it's shrunk quite a bit.
2: And it's very, very dependent on the tourism industry, which is run by the two largest Mormon denominations that have divided the town. So the Community of Christ owns half of the major heritage buildings and the LDS own the other half. And so it's Mormon tourists that are coming
5: and keeping this town alive. Mormons. Oh, yeah, because
2: there's there's a whole Mormon trail. I I did the trail starting in Sharon, Vermont, where Joseph Smith was born, all the way out to Salt Lake. (laughs) Did you pull a wooden handcart with all of your belongings, though?
1: (laughs) And how many people died on the way?
3: (laughs) You have died of dysentery. Game (laughs) over.
1: (laughs) Well, sticking to history, I would like to briefly mention the Utah War. Okay. Also known as the Utah Campaign, Buchanan's Blunder, or the Mormon Rebellion, was an armed confrontation between LDS settlers in the Utah Territory and the armed forces of the United States government. Okay, Firearms were manufactured or repaired by the Mormons, long unused sabers were burnished and sharpened, and my favorite, scythes, were turned into bayonets. Okay, mm. there you go. Mm, curvy. Inventive. Rather than engaging the enemy directly, Mormon strategy was one of hindering and weakening them. One general wrote to a major, Stampede their animals and set fire to their trains. Burn the whole country before them and on their flanks. Keep them from sleeping by night surprises. Blockade the road by felling trees or destroying the river fords. Set fire to the grass on their windward so as to envelop their Somebody
3: trains. Somebody has read Sun Tzu's Art of War. <laughs> yeah, that is what you do when you are outnumbered.
1: At the height of the tensions in 1857, 128 California-bound settlers from Arkansas, Missouri, and other states including unarmed men, women, and children, suffered a coordinated joint attack by Paiute Indians, I hope I'm saying that right, Mm -hmm. and Mormon militiamen uh, who may or may not be disguised as Paiute. Many were killed on both sides before the pioneers could gain a tenable defensive position, then followed five days of siege. Finally, the Mormons negotiated a surrender. The surviving members of the, the party would hand over their livestock to the Paiutes and their guns to the Mormons, In return, the pioneers were guaranteed safe passage from the area. When they complied, they were double-crossed, and everyone over seven years old was murdered. Oh wow! This, this event later was called the Mountain Meadow, Meadows Massacre.
2: Yes, and the Mormon Church has recently taken a new position there, which is one of unequivocal apology. Right. For many years, they attempted to distance themselves from the whole deal and say these people weren't under Brigham Young's command; mm-hmm. these people really were Indians, et etc. Cetera, et cetera. But Janice Johnson, great woman I know, who was was hired by the church to basically um, write a book, Coming Clean. She organized the records. The book, Coming Clean, is not a direct church publication. but Yeah, the Mormon church has just decided to go, you know what? You know, we went through all this persecution in Missouri, but, you know, we did our share somewhere else, and this is a bad thing we did. So
5: uh, what was the reason for attacking these, like, people who weren't even going to stop in Utah that were just kind
2: of like, did they just want livestock and guns? The Mountain Meadows is an example of gross brutality, but what's much more common is that people would get into Utah and their stuff would get taken. Or they'd have to pay exorbitant prices to get through Utah because, I mean, Utah did not have uh, the kind of industrial scale necessary to, to maintain a really thriving society. And so initially, they were somewhat dependent on swindling, yeah. raiding, etc. the people you know, who were heading out to California.
5: Brigham Young, more like Brigand Young. Oh.
1: Mm. <laughs> All right. I have some infamous Mormons. Ooh, Thanks to our weird. intern, Corey, for these. There was Mark William Hoffman, American counterfeiter, forger, and convicted murderer. Widely regarded as one of the most accomplished forgers in history, Hoffman is especially noted for his creation of documents related to the history of the Latter-day Saint movement.
2: Now, now to be fair, yeah. Hoffman is – and he's still in prison in Utah – You you can't really call him an infamous Mormon exactly because it implies that he's not making his money by shaking the church down and defrauding the LDS (laughs) church. It's like the LDS church is actually the victim of Hoffman. (laughs) What he did was he generated all these documents that would have made – the church look really bad that appeared to have been written by Joseph Smith. Yeah. And the church is already dealing with all kinds of stuff written by Joseph Smith it doesn't want to have to deal with. <laughs> yes. yeah. And so he basically said, I, I've discovered these documents written by Joseph Smith. And It's like, oh, shit. Those are the sorts of things Joseph Smith probably would have said. Yeah. How <laughs> much do you want? Yeah, we'll buy these. And, yeah. yeah. yeah so he money. shook them down for all this hush money. It yeah. was awesome. <laughs> Uh, when Hoffman's schemes
1: began to unravel, he constructed bombs and murdered a document collector and the wife of a former
2: employer in
1: an effort to buy time to repay his debts.
2: Oh, wow. That was the, the strategic error. Yeah, and Hoffman, I believe, even before this, was part of a Mormon fundamentalist schismatic group, the 20,000 polygamists rather right, okay. than part of the church.
1: Ron and Dan Lafferty. Dan Lafferty and his five brothers grew up in the mainstream Mormon church, but in the early 80s, they drifted into the fundamentalist fringe. They were excommunicated from mainstream LDS. The eldest brother, Ron, claimed to have received an order from God to kill four people, including their niece and her mother. Four months later, Brenda and Erica Lafferty were dead. That was in 1984. Uh, found guilty of the murders, Dan Lafferty was sentenced to two life terms. And Ron Lafferty's on death row.
5: Amazing. Well, you can justify,
1: like, to the voice of God. You can pretty much uh, do anything. And that story is the subject of the 2003 investigative nonfiction book by John Krakauer Under a Banner of Heaven.
2: Yeah. And Krakauer, I really disagree with the thesis of his book. It's mm-hmm. like he argues that there's this history of violence running through uh, Mormon history. Right. But in fact, if you compare the Mormons to other people who yeah. live in that part of the world, I think it's a very hard case to make. What you see, if you want to see what kind of crimes uh, you get more of in Utah, it's fraud. Fraud is off the charts in Utah because you have a society of – that produces an excess of both swindlers and marks, Uh, (laughs) a society that generates both a surfeit of gullibility and a surfeit of liars. Right. Yeah.
5: The whales and the plankton are being born of the same entity, right? Mm,
1: yeah. You know, it becomes this, like, closed circle. Ted Buddy, subject of a previous Caustic Soda episode. Yeah,
3: our our very yeah. first evil dudes in history. Had converted
1: to Mormonism.
3: And our, and our most uncomfortable to record episode.
1: Yeah. yeah. Although I believe he, uh, once he was on death row, he converted to, oh God, Hinduism, I think. He should have become a Buddhist.
3: Yeah. Can quote. Let's put quotes around Converted. Yeah. Said he converted. Yeah. yeah.
1: And of course, Butch Cassidy, the robber, was a Mormon. Cool, Cool. I did not know that. Wow. And also, this crackpot, David Brian David Mitchell, June fifth, two thousand two, Salt Lake City, a fourteen-year-old girl uh elizabeth smart was abducted from a bedroom i think we talked about this on the the kidnapping kidnapping episode i'm not sure if it was cut from the episode or not we
5: did talk about it
1: smart was found alive nine months later in sandy utah about 18 miles from her home in the company of brian david mitchell and wanda eileen barzine who were indicted for her kidnapping uh, but initially ruled unfit to stand trial they were eventually convicted in 2011 and Mitchell is serving a life sentence.
2: It, it seems like we're we're missing, like, crucial, infamous individuals. Like, how is Senator Mike Lee not on this list? It's like, you're dealing with, like, child molesters and kidnappers, but there are all kinds of outrages that, you know, that, that sort of speak to the uniqueness of Mormonism. Like, anybody can generate, like, kidnappers and child molesters, yep. and they think they have a special relationship yep. with yep. God. There are crazy bad new things Mormons are doing, but yep. unfortunately— we. Have Either go with the the crack hour violence narrative or we go with the weren't these people ridiculous frauds back in the days of Smith and Young. But here's a thing the Mormon church did last year that should scandalize us. For the first time ever, they instituted uh, very similar rules to Sunni Islam for female participation in key religious rituals. So now, as of 2011, you cannot perform certain temple rituals if you're menstruating. And that's oh. brand new. Unclean in the sight of God, that's brand new. One of the things to stress is, you know, we have this idea about traditionalism that religious people are somehow insulated against the passage of time. The reality is that if you've got a story about how you always have, have always done X Always done. Why? Because you're a traditional person. What it does is it gives you more flexibility to constantly change your story and practices mm-hmm. and to project the new thing you're doing backwards through all time. Right. Mormons are particularly good in this regard. That's a lot of what my thesis is about, that they cannot really distinguish between past and present. Glenn Beck's intellectual mentor wrote an amazing series of books. And one of the things that happens is, you know, Adam gets to Missouri and he immediately builds a pipe organ, because we've always (laughs) had the same technology in all dispensations through all space-time. So this is highly adaptive. It's like we, for instance, believe Roman Catholics have always opposed abortion, when in fact, until 1858, they were the largest abortion provider in the world. So the Mormons are changing, adapting all the time. Cleon Skousen, in fact, thanks to Glenn Beck, The 5,000-Year Leap, written by Skousen, republished by Beck. It begins when Moses goes up Mount Sinai, and he's handed two documents by God, the Ten Commandments, and the American Constitution. He comes down Mount Sinai. He is elected president of Israel. And uh, Aaron is elected as his vice president. They elect a congress and a senate, and they run the state of Israel under the original American constitution until gradually the Israelites become involved in miscegenation and sodomy. Mm -hmm. Um, And so their skin starts to darken, and the true white Israelites flee to the present-day Ukraine, where a new prophet arises – Odin. Yes, Odin, the Norse god. (laughs) And Odin leads the true white Israelites. And by the way, according to Skousen, George Washington is a direct descendant of Odin just as Joseph Smith is a direct descendant of Jesus Christ. So Odin leads the true white Israelites to Saxony, and then from Saxony they invade England where they reestablish the American Constitution.
5: So hold on. Is this written as a work of fiction? No, this or is, this is, this is, this is a work of
2: history. Rick Perry, governor of Texas, stated that this is the most important, accurate work of history he's wow. ever read and that everybody needs to read The 5,000-Year Leap.
3: Wow. Wow. I want I am, to
2: read it ironically.
3: I am like. still ba- I am still baffled that Glenn Beck had an intellectual mentor. Am, <laughs> like you keep you you use the word intellectual twice in a in a sentence with Beck, Glenn, and it wasn't about an intellectual making fun of him. It, it, <laughs> sound, it definitely
5: sounds like an oxymoron. I, yeah.
1: Well, I would like to talk about posthumous baptism. Okay. And yeah. the Granite Mountain Records vault. The Granite Mountain Records Vault, also known simply as the Vault, is a large archive owned by the LDS excavated 600 feet into the north side of Little Cottonwood Canyon. Mm-hmm. The Granite Mountain facilities feature a dry, environmentally controlled facility used for a processing facility and restoration laboratory for microfilm. Specially constructed Mosler doors weighing 14 tons at the main entrance and 9 tons guarding the two smaller entrances are designed to withstand a nuclear blast. Records stored include genealogical and family history information contained in over 2.4 million rolls of microfilm and 1 million microfiche. This equals about 3 billion pages of family history records, which is available online for anyone yeah. for anyone to look at. Latter-day Saints use such information to assemble family group charts and pedigrees for the purpose of binding together ancestral lines of kinship through posthumous baptisms performed by proxy in temples. Such ordinances ordinances are considered essential for the salvation of the dead. That is those who died without hearing the full message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Mormons engage in retroactive posthumous baptisms in order that ancestors may ascend to heaven. Among those so baptized were Adolf Hitler in 1993, Mm -hmm. Joseph Stalin... That's an odd choice. ...and Vlad the Impaler.
5: Really? By 1997,
1: a cover-up of of the most controversial baptisms occurred, accomplished imperfectly. Jews who died in the Holocaust were also baptized retroactively, much to the chagrin of the Jewish community.
2: Now that, I have to say, I find really bizarre, because to me, very anti-magic, liberal Christian... I, of course, don't believe that the hermetic true name magic that the Mormons use in order to baptize the dead works. They're betraying a certain suspicion that this hermetic true name magic might actually work on their ancestors. Mm-hmm. They're
5: giving it a legitimacy that it might not have like received if they didn't comment on it at all.
1: Because can't we just retroactively Unbaptized? <laughs> like, can't we re- retroactively mm. baptize people into the Cthulhu cult if we uh, well, wanted that, to that, by that's that That's what logic? Bill
2: Maher did on his show, that's right? Wrong. He yeah. put on a special hat and he retroactively unbaptized, I think, some of Mitt Romney's relatives in <laughs> <had> a magic <laughs> I think wand. Mitt Romney's
3: grandfather. I think, yeah. Yeah.
2: So it is Hermetic true name magic. So you have to, because of the theory of magic, which comes out of the magic that came to England that helped to create the cunning men that came out of the Hermetic texts that went from Byzantium. In 1453 to Italy and created Ficino and everybody else the game Ars Magica is based on. (laughs) Um, Hermeticism requires that you know the true name of a thing in order to have power over it. That's um, And so John Dee, who was like the great scryer – user of seer stones for Queen Elizabeth, Mm -hmm. this this idea that you need to know the true name is, of course, why the genealogical work has to happen. Mm. That's one of the reasons I call it magic because that's not something you would get with prayer where you would just beg God to (laughs) save this person for you it's like no the magic is in me and my knowledge of that name allows me to use my priesthood powers i think what we've now learned is that dr strange was a mormon
5: (laughs) oh most definitely
1: (laughs) all right well from the sublime to the ridiculous all right here's a public service announcement thanks again to our intern Corey. steps in overcoming masturbation By Mark E. Peterson, Council of the Twelve Apostles. Uh, Is that a pun? Overcoming? (laughs) We are taught that our bodies are temples of God and are to be clean so that the Holy Ghost may dwell within us. Masturbation is a sinful habit that robs one of the spirit and creates guilt and emotional stress. It is a habit that is totally self-centered and secretive and in no way expresses the proper use of the procreative power given to man to fulfill eternal purposes. The only reason
5: that you you feel shame afterwards is because you're telling them they need to feel shame. Yeah, exactly. That's a self-fulfilling prophecy right there. It
1: therefore separates a person from God and defeats the gospel plan. So this is a list of 20, and I have chosen some highlights i only
3: i only feel shame afterwards if i didn't do a good job (laughs) (laughs) that could have been better
1: i mean job is right in the title (laughs) when the temptation to masturbate is strong yell stop to those thoughts as loudly as you can in your mind (laughs) oh oh oh, in your mind (laughs) and then recite a pre-chosen scripture or sing an inspirational hymn uh If you are associated with any persons uh, having the same problem, you must break off their friendship. Never (gasps) associate with other people having the same weakness. Don't suppose that if the two of you will quit together, (laughs) because you will never win.
2: Oh, I, 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 oh, God, quitting Uh, together—that actually might make me quit. So this is
5: uh, a—they
1: invented masturbation interventions. Yeah. Uh, When you bathe, do not admire yourself in the mirror. Never stay in the bath more than five or six minutes, just long enough to bathe and dry and dress, and then get out of the bathroom into a room where you will have some member of your family present. Okay. Don't stay alone because you will inevitably touch yourself. During your toileting and shower activities, leave the bathroom door or shower curtain partly open to discourage being alone in total privacy.
5: Oh my God. Everyone's got to watch everybody else take a dump.
3: Well, potentially. Because the door being locked is how you know that it's occupied. Do they have a little... Do they put a thing on the outside, do not enter unless you want to make sure I'm not masturbating? (laughs) Yeah,
1: (laughs) That's, that's exactly what that caveat. When in bed, dress yourself for the night so securely that you cannot easily touch your vital parts. That's secure. And so that it would be difficult and time-consuming for you to remove those clothes. <laughs> in severe cases, it may be necessary to tie a hand to the bed frame with a tie <laughs> in order that the habit of masturbating in a semi-sleep condition can be broken.
3: I can I can sometimes yeah, pull it off just lying face down in <laughs> the bed. I mean, come on.
2: They're, in a way, they're proposing alternative sexual activities. So it's like, how about this? <laughs> Why did you tie yourself to the bed?
1: <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That becomes the thing that turns you on, right? If the temptation seems overpowering while you are in bed, get out of bed and go into the kitchen and fix yourself a snack, even if it is the middle of the night, and even if you are not hungry, and despite your fears of gaining weight. Uh, I would be so fat. <laughs> I would be the fattest Mormon ever. (laughs) I would never stop eating. But ironically, all I had in the fridge was oysters and dried apricots. (laughs) It just got me more and more randy. In the field of psychotherapy, there is a very effective technique called aversion therapy. When we associate or think of something very distasteful with something which has been pleasurable, but undesirable, the distasteful thought and feeling will begin to cancel out that which was pleasurable. For example, if you were tempted to masturbate, think about having to bathe in a tub of worms and eat several of them as you do the act.
3: There are probably a lot of really messed up It's really oh, interesting goodness.
1: they picked worms. Eh? I know. What if I can only get off while I'm eating worms in a bathtub <laughs> well, full of worms? That's
3: how it's going to end up. Yeah. Because yeah. you're going to be all Every time
1: up. I see a bathtub of worms now, I'm going to get in a rush. happens it, all the time. And then
3: they finally get married and they end up with their wife and they're like, baby, can you just lie and wriggle for a bit? <laughs> it's the only way I can give you a baby.
1: Uh, set up a reward system for successes it does not have to be a big reward a quarter in a receptacle each time you overcome or reach a goal you know what my reward would be masturbating <laughs> do not spend your jar of quarters on a fleshlight
3: <laughs> is that one of the rules no <laughs> <laughs> they're gonna have to hang that. yeah
4: Song of
1: The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints has purchased ads promoting the faith in the playbill for the Los Angeles engagement of the Book of Mormon, the satirical musical from the creators of TV's South Park. The Book of Mormon, and I haven't seen it, although the last time I was in New York, I tried to get in to see it, and it was, like, sold out. It kind of pokes fun at the Mormon church. This is from September 2012. Uh, The show tells the story of two Mormon missionaries who traveled to a remote African village... The musical pokes fun at the tenets of the Mormon church as well as those of other religions. It also targets a host of sensitive subjects such as AIDS and female circumcision. The L.A. engagement is the first time the church has bought playbill ad space for the musical and church officials are considering doing the same for other cities.
2: The Mormons aren't the primary targets of this. The Mormons are the good guys, and yes, they take a gentle ribbing, but it's really like the beautiful story of, you know, uplifting the ignorant African savages. The thing is that Mormons generally have been very reflexively offended by stuff that was neutral about them, like Big Love, like um, the Book of Mormon musical. But uh, very recently, this small group in the church – Because the the quorum has been very worried about the effect the presidential campaign will have on the church's image. Right. And so they have been willing to think much more outside the box to demonstrate that they're normal and Mm -hmm. nice and whatever. Mm -hmm. And one of the things is to have a, a sense of humor about the musical, that the Mormons had to start acting like they were powerful people who could take a joke.
5: But more important than any of that, is it
2: funny? (laughs) Everybody I know who's seen the musical has found it very funny
5: You sound like you've seen it though Have you seen it?
2: Oh no, I couldn't get in I have the whole thing narrated to me by like six different people I, you know, blow by blow, scene by scene But I haven't had that kind of money when I've been near uh, L.A. or New York
5: So I guess this, uh, the taking out ad space in the playbill of the L.A. engagement of Book of Mormon Is kind of, there's no such thing as bad press, I guess is where they're
1: going with this Well, a spokesman for the Mormon church issued the following statement Patrons of the musical aren't likely to lead the theater with a better understanding of the B- Book of Mormon. Our message in the playbill invites the audience to seek a more complete perspective of the book, its Christ-centered message, and its place in Mormon belief.
3: So yeah. probably doing the math, figuring you know 5% of the people will not understand the fun poking, and those ones might want to learn more.
1: And this kind of leads us straight into pop culture. Yeah. we want to talk about Orgasmo and South Park and yeah. Matt and Trey uh, in general? Matt Stone they and Trey Parker. They grew up
3: in Colorado, so around there, There's, you know, close to Utah and a lot of Mormons around. So they have them in their shows a lot. They've been in South Park quite a bit. Uh, they've been described by Mormon commentators as unexpectedly our best treatment. Uh, the way that Matt and Trey treat them. In South Park, they're generally Pollyannas with bike helmets and missionary tags, uh, and there was an entire episode called All About Mormons, which was devoted to lampooning Joseph Smith Jr. and the founding of their religion. In the episode Super Best Friends, Joseph Smith is portrayed positively, appearing in a Super Friends parody involving other religious figures who are allied in a fight against David Blaine. (laughs) Uh, In South Park, it is only the Mormons who, quote, got it right and who go to heaven after death and all adherents of other religions go to hell, though this reversal of fortune is likely just a literary device for giving debates of religious salvation a humorously ironic twist. Okay, But yeah, generally, uh, Matt and Trey seem to think Mormons uh, have weird beliefs but are generally nice people.
5: I mean, Orgasmo, which was one of their first feature films, if not their first feature film, uh, the main character yeah. is a Mormon,
2: yes, yeah. who does porn because he's convinced that the other Mormons won't see any of the films in which he's appearing. Right, right.
3: Then it uh, randomly becomes the, I think, the third highest-grossing movie of all time, behind at the time, uh, behind Jurassic Park and Titanic, and just ahead of E. T. Mm-hmm. Uh, the side plot, though, is that his co-star in the porn Chota Boy, is also a Ph.D. graduate from MIT who has all these inventions and actually invents the orgasmerator, which is the magical or the scientific device that you can shoot people with to give them an orgasm. Mm -hmm. And they go around doing superhero work in real life on the side And it kind of becomes an A-Team episode. That's the way I feel it. Basically, in A-Team, the, the general plot was, you know, bad guys show up, tell good people, move, we're taking over, fuck you. And then the, the good guy has to hire the, the A-Team to come in and beat them up. And instead of hiring, they just come in to save G-Fresh, who is a sushi chef, who's a total, like, wannabe gangster type guy. Oh, they totally beat my black ass. It's ridiculous. And I love that movie. It's really? it's so much fun. It okay, from a technical standpoint, I kept seeing all sorts of like newbie errors. Yeah. Like there's one where they're doing uh, a two shot and they've got a girl behind them mm-hmm. and then they keep going to single shots as the people talk back and forth and every single cut the girl's doing something like slightly different so it's right. jarring. Uh, so it's, it's a kind of an amateur film in that sense, but it's hilarious and pokes fun at all sorts of stuff. You think it's going to be this soft core kind of, I'm going to get to see some boobies and hot women. And every single time you think there's going to be a shot of some boobs, a naked man butt steps in front of the camera and blocks your vision. Mm-hmm. It's hilarious in that way.
2: So the Parker Stone thing, right? Um, I mean, their basic thesis is Mormonism through the way in which it alters human consciousness and human priorities, um, creates these families that appear very loving and nurturing right. and creates people who are very friendly to strangers. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, because- I think that as an external experience, those things are true. Right. You will interact with highly cohesive, highly cooperative families, and you will interact with very friendly people. In fact, Mormons aren't even polite they're so friendly. Like they 've actually substituted friendliness for politeness, uh, meaning what exactly oh, you try lining up for a bus in Utah or something <laughs> like it's uh everybody's so damn friendly, but it's it's actually quite an inconsiderate culture in a lot okay, of ways okay um, people drive horribly, they're cutting each other off all the time, not because they 're aggressive, but just because. They use friendliness to replace what more inhibited people like us would use etiquette for. Okay, So that, that is a thing. Mm-hmm. I think what Parker and Stone gloss is the price that Mormons themselves pay for that and the amount of suffering entailed mm. in jamming yourself into the square hole. Yeah, Mormons do surprisingly little damage to the people near them because they're busy damaging each other and themselves oh. by creating these real cardboard cutout social expectations. The most devout Mormons I know are often the people who are the most unfulfilled because they are really giving it the old college try to right. be the person they're supposed to be. Right. Mm-hmm. There's tremendous pressure on you as an academic scholar of religion not to judge religion. Right. To go, "Oh, these are just all different ways of being and they're all equally good," you know, sort of like the fallacy of liberal pluralism, you know, I must tolerate your intolerance. Mm-hmm. So, I really worked on that. But the thing that broke me, there was great celebration about the fact that Brigham Young University had finally decided to have a public forum for its gay students. Okay, hmm. uh, that that that's this year that this happened. Wow! For the first time, BYU allowed a gay organization to assemble and invite people, and so they had these three panelists. And my my liberal Mormon friends are going, "This is so great! You know, we're finally getting over this whole Proposition Eight thing and the homophobia, because look, the church is finally moving." And I was going, oh, yeah, that's great, guys i didn't I didn't think I would see it happen. That's awesome. And then I read the extensive coverage of the forum, and I just wanted to vomit. So there's one guy who's on the panel. he's gay, he's married to a woman. he be- and they have kids, and he knows that um you know, in order to fulfill God's plan, he has to stay married to this woman, yeah, and he talks about. Her terrible depression as a result of marrying him, the fact that she hardly ever leaves the house, she's heavily medicated because it's so depressing to be with a man who's not attracted to you and to raise these kids with him. And so, like, that's one of these great stories, you know? And then, like, another story is this woman who – Because she's attracted to other women, but she'll never actually, like, have a lesbian relationship in her life. And she doesn't just know that she'll never have a relationship in this life because of the way the Mormon family unit works. The reason it has all this weight is that it exists infinitely into the future. You are stuck in this family for the rest of time. So her thing is, oh, yeah, not only will I never have a partner in this life, I will live eternally alone. I will be alone for all eternity. These people are standing up and they're giving testimony Mm -hmm. about how the church has ruined their life. And everybody's going, isn't this awesome? Aren't we a wonderful pluralistic (laughs) church? Yeah, it's
1: okay to be homosexual as long as you don't do anything homosexual. Uh,
2: Yeah, yeah. and then there's like this Mormons can create a – present a great face to each other and to us. But the sadness I see in a lot of Mormons – and the thing is a lot of them stay because the other reality is you don't learn to socialize in the same way that we do. Right. Mm-hmm. And so if you leave the church, you end up hanging out with other ex-Mormons. Like it's so hard to form relationships with people who, like, live in a late capitalist atomized society where, like, friendships are real work. Getting people to your house is real work. (laughs) There's no giant organization facilitating that. There's no multi-generational family you're plugged into. So people feel so isolated and alone and under-resourced that they end up hanging out with other ex-Mormons or they continue to exist on the fringe or like the guy you are talking about on Reddit, they're in the closet, uh, but are actually you know just in this club where they can't tell people what they really think.. Right.
3: Yeah. Parker and Stone always present the, the happy, fun side of, of more. They treat them quite nicely, like they, they do poke fun at the goofy beliefs but are very insistent in every single time they present them that Mormons are very good people and very generally happy and fulfilled people. Yeah,
1: there's kind of a seamy underbelly that they never address. And they, yeah, right. they
3: don't really address that. That does seem to be one of the weaknesses of Matt and Trey. They, they've got this very kind of libertarian, you do what you want, and I don't care if you're happy about it because it's your choice to do what you want. Uh, and if you're secretly unhappy, that's not, a my, that's not my problem. And that
2: that's also very much the thesis of big love, right? It's right. done, you know, it's created by two gay men who want to get married who are trying to legitimate other forms of off-the-reservation marriage.
3: Right. Hmm. Nice segue. Uh, Big love. Bill Paxton plays uh, a man who was raised on a polygamous compound. This is a TV series. This is a TV series on uh, HBO. And Bill Paxton plays this X compound male who was driven out because, of course, they've got polygamy on this compound. So they've got X number of women and X number of men, generally. And if you're going to have men marrying multiple women, that means you've got a surplus of men. You've got to get rid of some of your men. So he got booted out, thrown into the real world, which is around Salt Lake City. And so he kind of pretends to be just a regular old Mormon and got married to a woman Mm -hmm. who then got cancer and thought she was going to die At the exact same time he met another woman, his wife then said, Why don't you marry her? I want you to be happy. That happened before she died. Then she went into remission and survived, and he became a polygamist. At the same time, he ended up making lots of money with his business, and later on married a third woman and now owns three houses that are all share a backyard. Right. And each wife lives in a house and he just mm. hops back and forth between them. And it's about their trials and tribulations of hiding it and being open in certain ways and how hard it is. And also some of the benefits, like they've always got a babysitter. They're communally working together. They, uh, at least two of the three genuinely love him and he genuinely loves all of them. It's kind of, as you say, it's kind of an argument to, look, if everybody's a grown adult and doing it of their own free will, why can't you live in these larger family organizations?
2: Mormons' refusal to see it is really problematic. Mormon polygamists, the Mormon fundamentalists have been separate from the Mormon church for so long— that over 50 percent – and remember, there are 14 million Mormons and there are 20,000 Mormon fundamentalists. So <laughs> yeah. there are 20,000 of these all, people who believe in But they're split up into different groups. Yeah. The polygamists split off in the 1920s. Yeah. And so over half of the of those 20,000 people – have never been members of the LDS church. Mm-hmm. They're part of a polygamous culture that exists in parallel that traces back to a point where it split from the right. LDS in yeah. the 20s, mm-hmm. right. but there actually isn't a lot of overlap. And of course, no one hates these Mormon fundamentalists, these polygamists, more than the Mormon church. Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course. Because these people are defying a direct order, right. and they left the church, and a number of them follow other prophets who say that Thomas Monson is not the prophet and they are
5: it's a PR nightmare they think oh these guys make us look bad and they're we're That's affiliated right. we get lumped in with them even though we don't have the same teachings or whatever it's kind of like uh muslims right you know you got the uh you know those two big factions the sunnis and the, the Shia. Shias. within muslim societies i'm sure they can see all the differences in the world right but uh, you know, to a North American eyes, yeah, this all
2: is, more like this, to is me. more like this uh, is more like the Alawites and the Sunnis. It's like you've got a tiny group living mm-hmm. in southeastern Syria, yeah. or versus like a massive global movement of a billion people. Well, now a, the
5: Alawites, though they're got a hell of a football team in Montreal.
2: Uh, so, oh, that's awful. Um, so <laughs> the uh, so the thing about
3: – Kevin, you could tell because it was a pun.
2: The thing about Big Love, though, the only people who persecute the polygamists is not the cops. It's the LDS church. Yeah. It's the church that's out to get them. Mm. And so but many Mormons think that the LDS is portrayed in Big Love as being tolerant of polygamy, when in fact it's portrayed as like being inflexibly intolerant of right. polygamy. But what the what is great about the show is that in many ways it's not about any of the religious denominations, it's about the culture of of the suburbs south of Salt Lake City. Mm -hmm. And that is pitch perfect. And and the cuisine is one of the ways it's pitch perfect, like the fry sauce. So in Utah- Wait,
5: there's a Mormon cuisine? Oh,
2: no, there's a Mormon cuisine. It comes out of this, this Ernest J. Wilkinson, the guy who ran BYU in the 60s, decided that hippies, they were the signs of the apocalypse. <laughs> so the first thing was I like... I think our friend Jordan so, Pratt at Orstrak Hooligans would agree. and okay. And so... He banned beards. So to this day, right, you can't take out a library book at BYU if, if you, you have haven't shaved that morning. Nice. <laughs> they are checking to see if you're clean shaven. That's and they so what like a library is, card against your you look at those missionary <laughs> that's your, outfits?
5: Against just stubble? If it makes that scratchy sound, you can't take out the book?
2: That's pretty much it. The, the, those missionary outfits that you see, what do they look like? They look like what, what – People wore in the 50s. -hmm. The narrow black machine washable ties. And I've seen the machine washable tie warehouse. That's pretty awesome. (laughs) Uh, But also like Kool Aid, jellied salads, all kinds of stuff that we stopped cooking. Yeah, from the 60s. The Wilkinson aesthetic. Froze all of these elements of like Cold War American suburban culture and wow. turned them into Mormon culture. So the food in that thing, these weird like high sugar things from the fifties, and of course they also like they they are not allowed to do very many drugs. Yeah. So the not most even caffeine, right? Uh, for that's right. The, well, yeah, yeah. Oh my god, I the last sort of big Mormon academic seminar I interacted with, there was this woman who was doing so much speed and nobody had any of the cultural equipment to talk about it. <laughs> yeah. Just like absolutely <laughs> fucked out of her mind on speed every seminar, just saying, just you know, rapid fire, crazy horse shit. So the center, like when you get to the core of the society – it's the candy counter at the Brigham Young University bookstore <laughs> where everything is sold by the pound. Right. You get these chocolate peanut butter cups that are the size of a baby's head. <laughs> and uh, oh. it's, it's staggering. So what you're
3: saying is they're not all bad because – I damn, think I'm going to convert. Would,
2: yeah. <laughs> well, this conversation
1: needs to get a little more nerdy. Oh, okay. Yeah, so let's go to up. Battlestar Galactica.
3: So say we all. Uh, <laughs>
1: Kolob is also the inspiration for the fictional planet Kobol – Within the Battlestar Galactic Universe, created by Glenn A. Larson, a Mormon. And the Quorum of Twelve, the ruling body of the colonies, shares the same name with the LDS Church ruling body.
3: Yeah, and And then the Lost 13th Tribe.
2: Yeah, and this is about the dispensations. Look at the, the story in Mormonism because when you travel to the new planet and reestablish God's society in the restoration and you start over, that's the dispensation. So in the original Battlestar, which was created by Mormons, they explore some Mormon cosmological ideas. Right. The series from 2003, 2004, totally unconsciously, Ronald Moore and company end up doing Mormon cosmology way more accurately. Is is that the, all of
3: this has happened before? All of this this has
2: happened before and it will happen again. I gave, uh, the Space Channel had me on a bunch of times. I did conference papers in the US on this thing because what these guys did was they took all this material that Larson had generated about the nature of the Battlestar universe. They took out all the need to be preachy. They just thought about the logical entailment Mm. of how this system should elaborate itself. The the polytheism in Mormonism is thrown into much sharper relief in the new series because, of course, in the book of Abraham – oh, by the way, I just have to tell you the origin of the book of Abraham. So Joseph Smith purchases a set of Egyptian mummies and a set of papyri from some guy. (laughs) Uh, And it turns out that the Egyptian papyri actually contain the original writings of the prophet Abraham. Which Joseph Smith translates. Initially, he tries to actually translate the hieroglyphics. He doesn't know the Rosetta Stone has just been uncovered. Right. Dope. He translates this he thing through that- this thing called the Egyptian alphabet and grammar. And he creates this thing called the Book of Abraham, which has all the stuff about Kolob, et cetera. Okay. And it explains that, contrary to the Bible's narrative, planet Earth was made by the gods. Right. When, and then Joseph Smith, of course, later teaches that we all get to become gods as yeah. the universe uh, you know, fans out in the Great Pyramid scheme. So anyway, <laughs> the problem with the Book of Abraham is that the Smithsonian found the papyri in the 60s and they have been translated. And of course, they bear absolutely no yeah. resemblance to right. the Book of Abraham. They're actually a document called The Breathing Permit of Whore which, to be fair, is every bit as weird as the book of Abraham. It's just that there's no overlap.
5: Imagine that, a guy who has absolutely no reason to be able to translate hieroglyphs, and his translation ends up not being the same as the actual translation.
2: But the Battlestar universe, if you look at Brigham Young's theology, making the Cylons, the the, the fleshy Cylons, Mm -hmm. that's how Brigham Young essentially thought we were made. What I thought the the reveal was going to be, because I actually thought Ronald Moore was reading this stuff, that he wasn't just lucking out. Mm -hmm. I thought the reveal was going to be the humans who think they're humans are actually the gods. And they're the ones who show up and fix the broken earth and reorganize the matter and create these fleshy beings – And in fact, if you look at how the Cylons are originally, that's how Mormons talk about the pre-existence. In the pre-existence, we're all immortal. We can't die. Right. And we're all part of these 13 models, uh, 13 tribes, and gradually we start individuating over many, many generations in the preexistence of failing to die and learning. So when one number six becomes different from the other number six, I'm thinking, yes, this is the (laughs) preexistence. They're developing selfhood. And then when the resurrection ship is destroyed, that too is Mormon because when you fall into mortality as a fleshy being, suddenly you can die and all the stakes get way higher Uh for your choices. So they did all kinds of great stuff in the show. I Mm. loved it. I, of course – hate the last half of season four because it's revealed that this was not only is it crap it destroys my theory of what was going on
0: (laughs) (laughs) we hate that Uh,
2: uh, 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 uh. i was um at the uh uh ctv in toronto before they aired this thing on space and so we as the panelists were shown this thing three hours before and like people are hiding people are covering their faces people are like groaning as we try and watch the finale we all felt just destroyed by the thing it was like people had been kicking us on the gut for two hours yeah. my response on the panel was no i thought my ending was better i hated that thing and uh but everybody in the studio watching that like there was no Battlestar fan i saw who watched that thing who didn't look like They were being physically brutalized while watching the finale. (laughs)
4: I'm
2: going to go watch it right now.
3: Caustic Soda was recorded by Mike Leeson while being mentally controlled by a parasitic barnacle. To comment on episodes, make a donation, or see show notes, links, and videos, visit causticsodapodcast.com. Rate and review us on iTunes. Visit us on Facebook. Subscribe to our Twitter feed at Caustic Podcast. Email us at info at causticsodapodcast.com.
4: remain entertained until the end.